Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and joining me tonight is... Jason. I am Ben Young. Andrew's back. And tonight we are talking about the hit 2012 film, Chronicle. But before we jump into that, Ben Young, is there anything new in the sci-fi world for us today? Yes, and I'm going to tell you about it. Thank you. Uh, We have one piece of news today, which is Amazon announced this week that the showrunners of Westworld, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, will develop a new show for Amazon Prime based on the Fallout video game franchise. Bethesda Game Studios and Bethesda Softworks are partnering up with Amazon Studios and Kilter Films to produce the series, and yes... That means Todd Howard is involved as an executive producer. There is no release date for the series or any of its subsequent ports yet, but we'll keep you updated as we learn more. I'm not excited for this one bit. Could you imagine, though? Could you imagine, like, the the title sequence begins for this, this film, this show, sorry, and then it fades to black. And then the intro for Skyrim just begins, and we're literally just watching someone doing a let's play of Skyrim. It would be amazing. It would be perfect. I could see. I've been asleep since we found you at the border. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, in all reality, the, though, in all reality, though, Fallout to me doesn't it doesn't lend itself well to any sort of I don't know I I can't see it being in any medium outside of games. No, like, no. And I, it could do, I don't know. You could do books. But I still don't think it would be good enough. Well, and here's the thing, too. None of Bethesda's Fallout games were very good. Like, Fallout 3 is the best one they did, and even that's fairly mediocre at that point. Like, the only really good Fallout game of this kind of new, of the newer generation, I never played one or two, so I can't speak to those. The only good one was New Vegas, and there's no Obsidian involvement, so I really couldn't care less about this. It's it's not going to be good. Yeah, I agree. Maybe we'll get Liam Neeson in it. That'll be cool, I guess. Doubt it. Doubt it. Yeah, I won't even. It won't even be that good. Now, maybe we'll get Jackie Gleason. Now, I do need you to delete all of this, though, Miller, because Colin and I do have an Elder Scrolls TV series we would love to create. That would definitely be good, and I don't want Todd to be mad at me because I'm sure he already is. Todd's a fucking oh, yeah, dick we anyway. Did some, we did some hardcore Todd bash in... Uh, well, Todd hasn't been back uh, on this cast for at least, what, eight months now? Because he's peeking right now. I can see him in my camera right now. I can see him behind Todd? me. Come on, boy. Come I'm on. wearing headphones. He can't no, hear you. No, you know you have to have beef jerky oh. and hold it up and then he'll come. <laughs> oh, shit. You, 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 need, you need to have a ported copy of Skyrim so he could come out and get it. <laughs> He's getting me really one, excited. I have exactly one copy of Skyrim, and I haven't played it in like six years. Oh, don't say that to Todd. He'll get sad. I know. Oh, there he is slinking back into the closet now. Oh, he looks sad. Thanks, oh. Miller. Thanks, Miller. Yeah. Now Todd's Poor sad. Todd. Oh, no, but it's really good. Like, uh, I, I remember what we did, and it was always really good. It's it's not sci-fi, so we won't talk about it. But you you'll yeah, all, no, you can. just know it's good. Uh, that does it for the news. For all of the latest and greatest sci-fi news, follow us on Facebook.com slash sci-fi cross-sections and on Twitter at SF cross-sections. Back to you, Overlord. All right. Thank you. So as uh, I mentioned before, we're here to talk about 2012's Chronicle. Uh, Chronicle was written by the uh, misogynist and sexual assaulter Max Landis and directed by the... Uh, Golden Raspberry Awards Worst Director, uh, Josh Trank. So, um, and it stars such wet blankets oh, yeah, yeah. as Fan- Dane DeHaan, <laughs> Alex Russell, Michael. Well, the fantastic Michael B. Jordan. Yes, Can, uh, he, before he was a, before he was a guy. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. And uh, Michael, Michael B. Kelly, Jordan's been a guy since he was a kid. Just yeah. for the record, oh, for sure. If you ever, yeah. And, well, uh, no, I mean like an actor, like an actor of note that anybody know, knew him. Right, for he's been a he's been an actor of note since he was like twelve. And the actress slash model Ashley Hinshaw. He was in um, The Wire. Yeah, oh, didn't see it. A very very well, young Michael Colin, B. Jordan was in season one. You of know the what? Wire. You know what, Miller? You haven't seen it, and it shows. What's wrong, Colin? Jason, do you do you have an agenda? I have no agenda. I just wanted to throw that out there because I looked into all these guys and I was just like, oh, 
Fuck. And, it, and if you're going to throw a sexual assaulter on his name, you better throw a legend in front of it or we'll get a cease and desist. Sure. Uh, alleged sexual assaulter, Max it's Landis. That's what it is. But when you got eight of them, you kind of just have to just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he sucks. Yeah. All right. Anyways, um, Chronicle uh, was filmed for $12 million. That was the budget. And it came in at a whopping $126.6 million. Holy shit. That really, you, you said Blockbuster well, or, or, or whatever you said at the beginning. And I was like, was did it do that well? But yeah, no, this was a success. <laughs> yeah, this was a general, yeah, a... critically, this was a good movie. Oh, um, boy. And financially, it was a massive success. So, yes, no, it, it has so. done well. Though I will real quick want to point out that I think there's a correlation between found footage films that are blockbusters and their budget compared to what they rake in. Because if you look at Cloverfield, $25 million movie came in at $172.4 million. Yeah. So I think that there is a strong correlation there. Um, well, found found uh, footage films are just notoriously cheap to film yes. too. So that's so. why that was the attraction to them in the early 2010s. Like right. Paranormal Activity was filmed for $10,000. Yeah. So. Um, so like... We can't say this is a whopping success. I think it, it for what it is, I think it, it got the right amount of money. It was just filmed very cheap. So, yeah, if, if I if I may uh, be the one to start the party here, so to speak. Well, we got a synopsis because oh. I know because yeah. I, I know a lot of people probably haven't seen this and they are probably like Chronicle, like whatever. Like, I'll just listen to this because like it's not like a must see film. Yeah. Summarize it. High school seniors find a mysterious rock in a cave that gives them telekinetic abilities. As the kids test the limits of their abilities, they grow closer together. But the social outcast of the three begins to travel down a path of villainy. I thought it'd be fun if I made it sound like a like a high school movie. No, I appreciate mm -hmm. it. I see what you're going for, and I like it. Yeah, this is a quintessential <laughs> high school movie. It's, yeah, uh, why the yeah? Why the fuck is this a found footage movie? Like this does not need. This would have been, IMO, would have been much better as just a straight narrative. Like the the found footage, the you know the the handheld camera aspect. I from from my perspective, hurt the movie tremendously. Like wasn't, it did it just didn't feel like it was necessary. Wasn't that the Power Rangers film that came out a few years ago? Isn't that just the non-found footage film Chronicle? Okay. I, I didn't see it. So I want to say this. I threw I threw this on the schedule. This is the first movie that I wanted personally on the schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, I threw it on there in in March, um, back during Miller March Madness, because I was like, Miller gets all these shitty movies. I want to put a shitty movie on here. And 90% um, of the movies that I chose were good. I think for the most yeah. part, we all liked uh, Andrew's picks. No, no, no. I'm, I'm fucking around. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I liked this movie a lot when it came out. Uh, as I've gotten older, I watched this again today. Uh, I don't like it as much as I used to, I found. But I think one of the one of the merits of the film is that it uses the found footage aspect in a creative way that kind of challenge that kind of gave gave the genre a new life a little bit that if it would have been latched onto and if people would have taken found footage in the way that Chronicle presented it could have given the genre a, a breath of fresh air granted a Chronicle came out at the end of the of the found footage lifespan and since then found footage has kind of died out but I think that if it hadn't, if it had kept going and people looked at Chronicle and was like, oh, we could do found footage movies like this, I think it would have been an interesting, an interesting uh, move for the, uh, an interesting direction for the genre. So I, I will say that found footage film, I think, just got stale in general. That's why it kind of died it out. It did. It did. It got stale. It was the same thing over and over again. You couldn't yeah. do much. And I think... You know, there are points where I agree, Miller. There are points where the found footage strains, but I think the the constant reinforcement that Andrew is an egoist and uh, 
it kind of helps the fact that like at the end he pulls the cameras out of the space needle and surrounds himself with them because it's constantly being reinforced in the film that he is an egoist so it's never like cloverfield where tj miller's running around with the camera and they're like they're like why are you documenting this oh because it needs to be seen it's like it, it, he's doing this because he's an egoist or a narcissist he he wants the attention on him valid point so, but what about the scene where um, the one guy, I think, his, I think his character's name was Matt, he's like, oh, it's my, it's my mom's birthday, I gotta go, and he flies off, and then it <laughs> switches to the girl's perspective, and she's just recording him coming to her house for some reason. Well, she like, has a vlog. I, well, I get that, but also, who's compiling, who's, gain, who's getting all this footage and editing all of it together? Uh, Which, TikTok. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess, but like, yeah, I get it. I, I could never, that's, that's the part that I could never bring myself to like really understand what was, yeah, I, I couldn't suspend my disbelief because it's like, who, who is obtaining all of this footage? Right. If, if it was do, just it his, if it was just Dane DeHaan's camera. If, if you're yeah. going to do found footage, that has to be in the backdrop that this is a compilation of videos. Right. Who compiled yeah. it? I, I, like, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Like Blair yeah, Witch. Sure, sure. It's, pro it's the same camera, you know, um, uh, par paranormal activity. It's all a camera system within one house. We've got, you know, Dane DeHaan's cameras. We've got vlogger girls cameras. We've got all the cameras at the end. We've got, you know, uh, security footage. Who who's got all of, who gets all of this <laughs> data? So, is, and that's just I couldn't I couldn't do it. I can't Here's a question. Maybe it was for Todd Howard. Here, <laughs> fuck Todd Howard. Fuck, of course. Uh, that's why Skyrim for you, started at the end of my movie. If the movie had begun with sort of a framing device to be like, uh, after the 20, 2012 Seattle incident, uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation confiscated numerous amounts of video footage uh, trying to understand what happened. Uh, the following has been leaked and blah, blah, blah. I've seen that in other films before. I think I think Paranormal Activity did that. Giving, they had, it a they framing, had that a yeah. Giving it a framing device would have helped me for sure. I don't know if exactly yeah. the one that you're proposing would have done anything for me, but sure, sure, frame sure. It, framing it in some way to, to make it at least cohesive. You know, if, if Matt at the end, you know, uh, released this as a, hey, you know, this is what happened to my friends and I, you know, I'm I'm much older now and it's kind of, you know, the end of my life. So here's our story. You know, it might be unbelievable, but here it is presented, you know, in, in video format. Uh, I, I just can't I just couldn't get past other other camera sources, you know, in this movie. I, that's I kind of my that. that's kind um, of my chief gripe, because honestly, I mean, aside from shoddy, you know, narrative structure, I I. I enjoyed, you know, a lot of a lot of the film. I'm glad to hear that. Jason. I uh Yeah, you were saying something. Yeah, so to me, interestingly enough, um I I would say probably more along the lines of um not really not really looking at the I guess found footage structure as being like a weakness of the film. I mean I, I'm still, I'm literally, this is the hottest I've ever come off of anything we've covered. I literally just finished watching it, you know, 15 minutes before we started doing this podcast. So I'm still kind of grappling with it as we're talking about it. Um, but that being said, I, I don't think it, for me, necessarily needed like that framing device or that, you know, black and white uh, text screen before it started or after uh, the movie ended, I guess, to kind of like reinforce the events that happened. I kind of liked... I, I kind of liked the camera as this like outside observer, at least the way the camera was framed. Um, I kind of liked it as kind of this outside observer in the relationship between these friends because I thought it kind of struck that sort of adolescent alienated sort of tone um, that the characters were kind of going through um, or, or kind of dealing with, I guess you could say. Um, and especially with Andrew's character, um, which I will say this, I still don't like Dane DeHaan as an no. actor, but I liked his character arc. That's because um, Dane DeHaan has I, that weird, creepy, like fisheye face, and he 
It, he lends himself way more <laughs> to being perfect, a high school creeper. Perfect role I, I think Dana this was this is perfect. Alien. This was perfect for him. Yeah, perfect yeah. role for Dana. Um, yeah. But what does that say about Dana Hunt? This was this was by the way, sorry to interrupt you, this was his breakout role. This was the mm -hmm. thing that that threw him into stardom. Well, you know, he did this and then uh, Mark pointed out yesterday that he did uh Place Beyond the Pines. That was yes. his next movie after this. Yeah. I like Place Beyond the Pines. I haven't seen it, but apparently it was uh, a good movie. And I think in theaters Dan, with Mark. Oh, I think if Dane DeHaan sticks with uh, with with creepy uh, outcast kid roles and stays away from trying to be the savior of the universe, savior of the universe, I think he'd be good. I think he'd be He's well, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess that's the thing. So for me, I guess that that is a main takeaway. So I did like I I liked his character and I liked his character arc. So, like, I, I bought that in the context of the story, but I didn't really care for his performance and kind of, like, bring that to life. Like, he had a few scenes that were, were solid. I mean, I guess they were okay. Um, he does, like, really good, I think, physical acting, or he does that really well. But the minute he opens his damn mouth, <laughs> he just loses me. There's like some major Hayden Christensen shit going on the last, you know, the last act of the movie when they're, you know, the city's being destroyed. It was a lot of, you know, you know, you don't understand my power, you know, that type of stuff going on, um, which kind of took me out of it a little bit. I, I will say, you know, I loved the the kind of lead up to his eventual kind of, uh, I guess, breaking um, and even that final scene where they kind of have the, the, the battle or like the fight or whatever, I thought that was really well done. I thought that was kind of a good like buildup and I felt like that was earned in the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, tonally a little inconsistent. I mean, they jump around a lot, but I think thematically I kind of understood what the movie was trying to say, or at least what it was trying to convey. I think it did it in a, a kind of a messy way. But a lot of those themes, I thought, kept it grounded. I mean, it definitely was kind of a uh, an exploration of adolescence and kind of what it's like to be the other and kind of that outcast. And then obviously having the you know characters kind of handle it in a different way. Like the Steve character obviously dies due to Andrew's kind of losing control, I guess. But I thought the kind of dichotomy between Matt and how he handled his power um, – in being kind of a doofus character for most of the movie, kind of like the way that he kind of came into his own at the end, I thought was a really interesting arc. And then, uh, you know, Andrew, obviously, I think it's it's almost telegraphed. I mean, I didn't know anything really about this movie other than it was a found footage type movie. Um, and then it starred my favorite actor, Dane DeHaan, before going into it. But I his arc was kind of telegraphed to me. Like, I think within the first couple minutes of the movie, I knew like, oh, this is this is going to end <laughs> poorly for <laughs> the Andrew character. Yeah. Something's going to happen. You know, I knew it wasn't going to be like uh, sunshine and rainbows for him in the end. Obviously, it wasn't. But um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the story by and large worked for me. I, I, I don't know if I would say it was my favorite movie or if it was, uh, you know, a great movie or even a, a really good movie. But it was much more solid than I think uh, I, I thought it was going to be going into it. I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I, you know, like I said, when I, I liked it more when I saw it when I was younger than I do now, you know, eight years, I guess, is a long time. And so I guess my, my tastes in film has changed. I, I was I was chuckled, chuckling at some parts that at the end that kind of took me out of it, too. So I get it. Um. I think I think one of the, one of the big things I, I like about the movie is how um, human it, it it makes kind of like the turn to a villain and and you're right it's telegraphed incredibly early on you 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 know exactly how this is gonna go um, you have you know your your hero character you have your villain character and then you have your in between in Matt Matt is not hero or villain he doesn't really want to do anything with it. I think the true star of the movie is really Michael B. Jordan, as we've talked about, um, as Steve, because he plays this this great anchor for both characters and just for the whole movie in general. I think I think it's kind of a, a, a agreed that once Michael once once Steve dies, it, the movie kind of starts to shake apart a bit. But uh, I, I every second he's on screen, I believe like this character is is a Superman type. And it's really fun to watch his influence 
on Andrew. It's a good, it's a great um, look at good influencing troubled. I wouldn't, I, you know, I would never call Andrew evil per se throughout it, but um, the good, the good person reaching out and and kind of guiding. And I thought I thought that was I, I I always smile at at Michael B. Jordan and and Dane DeHaan's scenes because I thought I always thought they were really sweet. Yeah, I mean, to that end, too, if you actually, uh, when you kind of look at, I guess, the arc of the film, you know, to me, that was kind of like really the high point. Um, that was, you know, the, the top of the bell curve. And then after that, it's it's interesting, too, they kind of revisit some of the scenes from earlier in the movie, like you've got him back in the bleachers. And, you know, it's the same the same angle that uh, the cheerleader kind of berates him before for being creepy. And then he kind of goes back into creepy mode. And then has all these other kind of, uh, I guess, tragedies befall him or, you know, bad things happen to him. And now that his support system is largely gone, you know, at this point, Matt is pretty absent from his life. Um, I think, you know, this might be right before he has the blowout with his his father or whatever. Um, I, I It's, it's kind of sad, but you kind of there, there's nothing stopping that car wreck from happening at that point. Um, because he doesn't have that support system. So I, I kind of enjoyed that aspect of the story. Uh, I think you said a, um, a minute ago, Ben, th- the fact that it kind of humanizes it. Um, and you do have, I think, a, a solid grounds for kind of the events that take place, even when he does kind of have his eventual uh, turn to the dark side moment and he starts, you know, robbing people and everything else like that. You know, he's not... I, the, the the scene where his father, stepfather, whoever it is, is in the hospital bed and then kind of turns uh, or, or he's in the hospital bed and the stepfather goes to visit him and then uh, turns and says, you know, you did it because you're selfish and, you know, uh, it's all about you and all this stuff. I mean, I guess in one reading, you could say that I think, as you said, Ben, he's an egoist and I, the movie kind of doesn't doesn't hide that fact, I think, in highlights it in, in quite a few instances. But at the same time, he's robbing people in order to get money to buy his mother's medication. So, you know, it's on one side, yes, I think, you know, he, he says, oh, I'm the apex predator and I've reached this evolutionary uh, point where, you know, I'm I'm greater than the, the, the ants, you know, like I, I've gotten to that point. Which obviously is unhealthy, <laughs> especially having the power that he possesses, you know, like that's that's misguided. Um, and obviously what he chose to do with it is misguided. But I think ultimately he's still and I think is highlighted in many points in the movie, a kid. And these are kids more or less that have been granted this godlike power. And what would they do with it? Go, go, power you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, right? I think also, so, I, I don't know. I, I think also what's important is that, um, you know, Andrew, Andrew's never, I don't think Andrew's ever bad. I think Andrew is hurting, you know, the whole kind of hurt people, hurt people kind of thing we've talked about before. And he does bad things, but I, I don't believe there's good people and bad people anywhere. There's people who do good things. There's people who do bad things. Is that Adolf me? Hitler right now, good or bad. He did very many bad things, and if you want the things to define who he is, then yes, he is a bad person. But I'm sure he also did good things in his time. You can't deny that. I'm sure it's controversial to say, but I'm sure he there were some the good things he did at some point. He held the door open for someone. <laughs> uh, doesn't outweigh the bad things <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, did. Yeah. The oven door. I'm not saying it outweighs it, but I'm saying oh, that... Uh, the point, and my point being that I think there's there's parts and as a, as a, when as a, when I was younger and I was edgier I would have said full on full stop I don't think I don't think Andrew's wrong about anything even now as an adult like obviously I can I can have a maturity and I can understand like what he says is wrong but I don't think there are certain aspects that are wrong in his thinking it's instinctual for him and i i think that's something to explore in humanity where we gain power over our over our our peers when we gain that kind of power over our peers our immediate thought process is that we're better and steve fights against steve doesn't even fight against that steve is wants to be a leader he's not against the idea i think he never says outright but 
he's not against the idea that they're better than everyone else around them now. It's I think of Matt who grounds both of them where he says, like, you know, then we need rules. He's the one that says we need rules. He's the one that says we can't hurt other people. Steve agrees with him when it's brought up, but he's never the one to bring it up. In fact, uh, I think Steve does hurt some people in the store. Um, he needed a little bit of, yeah, he needed a little bit of coaxing, too, because um, it's it's right after, uh, you know, they, they established that uh, they want to have the rules, like, Matt's like, right, Steve, you agree? And then Steve's like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so exactly. And, it, it, and I don't think there's there's not malice behind the thought that, like, it needs no. – it took him a minute to get there. But, like, when you have that kind of power – I mean, theoretically, of course. I mean, power like this does not exist. But if it, if it were to, or just even metaphorical power over people, your immediate thought process is that you are above them. You are yeah. better than them. Absolute Steve goes power to lead- corrupts absolutely. Absolutely. Steve goes immediately to leadership, whereas Andrew goes to control. But yeah. I, I don't I don't think I think there are things there that are interesting, um that are just interesting reflections of human and their humans and, and their reaction to power. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I wanted to add to that, because I feel like it's a good point to to bring it up. So a note that I made while I was watching this, um, and it really, to me, kind of came to a head with the uh, the talent show scene, and then the the scene directly after that where they're at a party, and Andrew is kind of using his newfound abilities to, you know, to be cool, and, and I use that in quotes, you know, to be cool. Right. It just, it really made me think, you know, it kind of like think back to adolescence and think back to, you know, teenage years and, and that type of stuff where, you know, you're... I think back to mine, like you're you're at that point where you're really kind of in this nascent and fragile environment where you're trying to, I guess, maybe find yourself or you're trying to find like what makes you special and what makes you you, you know, what makes you an individual? What are your talents? You know, what are your uh, abilities? What, what's going to separate you as a, as a person? You know, are, are you into writing? Are you into making film? Are you into music? Are you, you know, you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be, you know, whatever? I mean... To me, one of the statements I think the the movie makes or like I guess the thesis that the film tries to posit, at least one of them is that, you know, there there are things that make everyone unique. And in this case, they are they are given something and to, you know, the point that was just made, the whole absolute power corrupts absolutely. They were given something, but they didn't earn it. They didn't do anything to earn it. And it didn't really it didn't really it wasn't a reflection of them as people that they had these abilities now it wasn't anything that was earned through experience or earned through any sort of you know um because they toiled at something or they put the thousand hours into you know be an expert or something that they just kind of discovered um of, of themselves, I guess you could say, you know, they happened upon this and obviously that's the sci-fi archetype at play here and there wouldn't be a movie if it wasn't for that. But I think those, those scenes to me really kind of, I don't know, it made me think it kind of hammered something home. Like there, it might not come at a point where, you know, you're 16 or 17 and, and, you know, you'd really like to have something you're good at or something that you excel at or something that kind of makes you different. But in time, you'll discover those things. And I don't know, to me, I think that organic kind of process of discovery is what makes us people. And I think, I don't know, um, I don't know if you guys get where I'm going with that. But that was just kind of one of the takeaways, I think, when you're you're given something like this hypothetical power um, and it isn't earned uh, through experience, that it, it doesn't have quite the same value or it doesn't... It doesn't affect you as a person or as a human being in the same mm-hmm. way. I guess mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm getting at with all that. Yeah. And I think, and I think I just want to say really quick that the I, I think the three of them getting it at the same time is is not um, them getting it at the end of the day. You bring up that they need to earn what they get, and really, I think it comes down to the fact that if you really want to dive into the the theories of the film and stuff, it's it's there's always a connection to that rock in the cave 
um, at one point when they go back to revisit it and the cave's car caved in, Steve mentions he could still feel it down there. And then Andrew goes back to that spot uh, towards the end. Um, it's it's caved in. The grass has grown over at this point. And he seems to be reacting to something down there. And it's never anything the movie explores because it is constrained by the found footage idea. But it's possible that this was just kind of the, the outcome all along. When you, when you have this kind of power spread out between them that, only one can remain. It's uh, what was the the Highlander movies, right? There, there can be only one mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking watch Highlander. Um, but you get what I'm saying? Like they, uh, they could, um, like they, they had to earn it. Whoever came out on top, whoever came out as the best among them, would be the one to earn it. And really, at the end of it, like Matt has proven himself to actually grow and change and actually be. Uh, worthy of the of the abilities he's been given, and actually seeks out new ways to understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he had that philosophy thing going for him. He's a giant fucking nerd. All right, <laughs> uh, same fellas. I wanted to ask you guys a question. Um, it's mainly about uh, Josh Trank. So. Clearly, he did a good job with this movie. Yes. Um, even in the, as far as like the found fitted footage uh, genre, I don't know if you want to call it that, went, he did a damn good job. It was entertaining to watch. I didn't feel lost at times. Um, always kept doing there and stuff. Uh, and he's he was applauded for this movie. A lot of, a lot of the critics say that it was just really well directed. But if you look at, he's only directed two things since then. Mm-hmm. One was the, uh, I'll just say, critical and financial flop, Fantastic Four. Yep. And he just came out with something about two months ago um, that will probably hurt him in the long run because it came out during, you know, the uh, the closure of movie theaters across the country. So it ended up just going direct to... Uh, you know, like an internet streaming release, which I, mm-hmm. I don't know it's uh, being released on, but it's it's a like an Al Capone movie, apparently. Uh, does this kind of fit into that, um, I guess, bracket of directors that had the potential to grow into something good, and then they end up just reaching success too early, and so they get handed something that's too big for them, and it fails? No. I firmly believe Josh Trank got the shit end of the stick with this one. Um, I've read a lot of accounts on what happened with Fantastic Four, and he is adamant at this point that the movie that 20th Century Fox put out is not his movie. Um, well, at one point, at one point, and this is something I just read recently, uh, he had he had cast Michael B. Jordan as as Flaming Torch very early on. He said, torch. "I want Michael B. Jordan." <laughs> Human Torch. Yes, not Flaming Torch. <laughs> uh, he cast Michael B. Jordan as Human Torch very early on. He wanted to also cast a black woman as Sue Storm and just have them both be brother and sister. And 20th Century Fox was like, no, 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 no. We will not lose our white, our blonde white woman. We will not lose her. And he's he's like, he, he's like at that point when they told me that, I knew the movie was doomed already and I should have walked away. Uh I, I believe that he was fucked by 20th century. But doesn't Fox. this also fit into the same narrative that like Duncan Jones got fucked by Blizzard when he made the Warcraft movie? Sure. That seems to be a common I, theme in Hollywood for yeah, directors. Like these directors want to wanna make a movie and then the studio they, or whoever owns basically the, 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 the property, they decide they want to make something else. What happened with J.J. Abrams with the episode nine was right. not the movie that he put out. Or wanted to it's put the out. it's the long story of studios getting involved with blockbusters that they have no business getting involved. With. I agree with not, you, Ben. Not we need studios, to kill all producers, not just studios, but executives. No, no, I, I, I don't no, know no, you're that. totally right. We're t- you're totally Charlize right. Theron, who is yeah. a producer, put is her, a fantastic in, producer. She does a Nevada great pudding. job at understanding that the director's job is to direct, the writer's job is to write. She is there to do a producer's job. What we're Which talking about are executives, execu- yeah. per- stu- not just executive producers, studio executives. 
those are the problem in Hollywood. Those are the problem. Those are the the things that stifle creator work. Just as an example, um, you you, you say what, you say what you say what you want about Max Max Landis. Actually, yeah, you're right. I mean, Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, say what you want about Max Landis. Um, Max Landis. So there was a sequel. Obviously, this was a financial success of a movie. There was a sequel in the works. Max Landis wrote a script for the sequel. Um, what what those of you who don't know is that Max Landis's dad, or may not know, Max Landis's dad is producer John Landis, and producer John Landis did not like the direction his son's script went. So producer and executive John Landis ended up telling all of his friends to not accept his son's script in Hollywood. And so that, it, uh, it, it that's that's why Max Landis is banned in Hollywood is because his father didn't like his script. No, no, that is not why Max Landis is banned in Hollywood. Max Landis has many sexual assault allegations. Right. Hell, even Josh Trank has banned Max Landis to the production of Chronicle. Josh Trank banned him from showing up to. Oh, did he? Yeah, I didn't know that. Showing up. No, to that's set. interesting. Yep. I, Max Landis had written a script. At, at the end of the day, the point is, regardless of your opinions of him, executives getting involved in the movie-making process. It, it always happens. That's That was my point of view. You can, you know, I'm sure Max Landis is a douchebag. He writes good Superman books, though, so. Yeah. Hmm. Hasn't done a lot since then. Um, I mean, obviously not. And I'm not saying he should ever get work ever again. Though apparently he did write a sequel to this film. But it died in uh, pre-production, mm-hmm. and it's it's not even like hearsay. Like what happened? Like it's well known. John Landis killed the script. So, well, Jason, were you going to say something? No, I, to- I think you know it's it's it seems like a, a common theme that's come up on the last few casts that we've done because we we finally have been kind of touching on these, uh, you know mid to i guess like i don't know early late 2000s films that kind of came out where you had that i don't want to call them like one and dones cuz i feel like that's not i'm trying to be you know civil here and i don't want to you know be a shithead to these directors but like they kind of came out with a film that you know seemed like it could have been on the cusp of something and then they kind of floundered. But I think it's interesting that you brought that up, Colin, because then that kind of makes me think, well, you know, okay, fine. So you had, uh, it's Josh Frank, right, for this one? Josh Trank. So you had his, Trank, sorry. So so you had this film and then Fantastic Four, right? Okay, Fantastic Four, big, um, you know, major movie production. I'm sure the budget on that was stupid and it failed. For one reason or another, but we didn't really have any other work of his to kind of compare it to where like, oh, he made four really solid films and then he made one really shitty film. It was he made one like good film, you know, pretty, pretty solid film and then a really shitty film. It was kind of similar to like, you know, the Duncan Jones had Moon and then which I forgot and I felt bad about when we did the cast source code, which I really enjoyed. I actually did like source code quite a bit and then Warcraft and it was like, whoa. Um, and then, you know, you have, uh, like, I think we said like Neil Blumkamp too, where he never really approached that level of like big, huge studio spectacle film, like, you know, a Warcraft or something like that. I mean, I think Elysium was probably, uh, which I hated was probably the highest budget movie he worked on. And I don't think that approached like, you know, the $150 million behemoth, like a Warcraft or something of that nature. So like, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, are are these directors just kind of getting the the shit end of the stick, um, as Ben was, you know, said in in this case, or is it just a matter of yeah, the um, reach kind of exceeding the grasp? Um, I well, I don't know. It's, see, it's interesting I, to think about. It is. I think there. This is a mistake on well, both the, the directors accepting something that's I guess too too big for their britches. And also on the part of these studios for trying to tap these directors for something that is too big for their britches. Um, I think directors need to be vetted. They need to kind of come up, I hate to say it, just through a better system. Be given smaller projects 
leading up to these big giant you know budget films but i, don't I know, disagree i i think directors need to stop taking gigs from big budget studios i think if you want to make a good film stay away from them like don't get me wrong i would love to direct a marvel film it's my dream to be able to have a hand, have a say in the cre- in the creation of a story involving a f- favorite superhero of mine but if someone if someone were to come to me and say yeah do you want to do it i would want more control than most of these directors get du- directors and blockbusters do not get the amount of control that you think they do no period. no they definitely it's don't especially the- with you mentioned marvel they're literally walking into a formula they right. can put their spin on it like uh uh, what's his name? Uh, Thor three. Uh, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Thank you. He literally put his own flavor onto a movie, but it's still sure. the same formula that's been applied to Marvel movies for the last fucking twenty years or fifteen so years, you, whatever. So you know that about Marvel. Now imagine a desperate and ravenous twentieth century Fox trying to get Fantastic Four back off the ground. Yeah. Imagine that. It's it must have been a nightmare. Yeah. Which is which is the only reason I'm willing to give Josh Trank the benefit of the doubt, especially after the numerous numerous articles this well, dude has come out with, just talking major shit well, about. Fox. I want to watch his new movie about Capone that stars yeah, uh, Tom to Hardy. It, it actually looks pretty good. Mm. He What's wrote and directed this one, so it, it, probably going to be decent. Uh, What's just, it called? Capone. It just came out two years ago. Or two months ago, sorry. Two months ago, I was about yeah. to Cap say. Cap one. Yeah. And he's 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 ri- he's writing a new one called The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt. You know what? He might have just been in the wrong genre this whole time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he, he just kind of jumped around and he, he found his muse. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like The last thing I'll say about it, because I, I didn't want to go on a whole aside, but it has been a topic I've been thinking about quite a bit as we've kind of revisited a lot of these films but you know uh, two other directors that I I can just think of off the top of my head which you know we don't have to get into a whole thing about but um you know around that same time who put out kind of these small films and then got heralded as the second coming were Ryan Johnson and Gareth Edwards so I just think it's you know same thing those guys I think were spoken of in the same breath as the Duncan Joneses and the Neil Blumkamps as this new generation of you know kind of sci-fi like these guys are gonna take the torch and they're gonna run with it and let's see what they do and interestingly enough all of those directors got offered these big studio projects and arguably and in some cases I agree in some cases I disagree arguably the feedback was that. You know, it didn't work for for one way one way or another. Um, I'll just leave it at that. But I just think it's kind of an interesting thing to posit from coming out of that. You know, probably I'd say that era between maybe two thousand seven and two thousand fourteen or so. Yeah, I, I think all those directors need to go to somewhere like A twenty four or Annapurna if it well, ain't exists like, anymore. Uh, you mentioned Ryan Johnson. I don't know if anyone has watched uh, Knives Out, but. That movie was a fucking Fantastic. Mas- it's a masterpiece. I did not see it. Yeah, oh, it's he's so clearly I didn't see it yet, but he clearly has his. I've heard good things. His shit locked in. He's a very skillful director, and he's gonna have a bright future. Probably just not in uh, working for Disney, but I, I think the well, and, and he's he, Disney should be begging him to come back because he made one of the best Star Wars films. He made the best Star Wars film of our time. Period. Well, no, it, and um, I think that. Really, what this comes down to is if if executives don't want to get out of directors and writers shit, then it's time to abandon the blockbuster at the end of the day. Like, like, fuck Tenet. Don't go see it. Well, fuck Marvel movies. Don't go see them. You know, I'm going to regardless, but I'm just throwing out a point here. Like, if you, you know, like, if you want good movies, tell studios to stop putting out shit no, movies. I want a blockbuster, but I want 2049. I don't want yeah, uh, right. Transformers 9. You know, that makes any sense. Right. I want Independence Day. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I want Independence Day 3, July 6th. No, you don't want that. <laughs> and I wonder what makes Denis Villeneuve different. Not only does he make blockbusters for studios, but he makes blockbusters for studios that 
bomb in the box office and still keeps getting blockbusters for studios. Because he sticks to his fucking guns and he doesn't let the studio win. But who is this person? Who is this man that that studios allow him to do that? He's Denny Villeneuve. So it's 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 weird, but I put Denny in the same, and I know Ben's gonna hate me for this, but just let me make my point. It's gonna be controversial, but I almost put Denny in the same sort of, for better or worse, the same sort of bracket as like a, a Christopher Nolan. In that, and here's where I'm going with that. In that, he can navigate the studio system and make it work for him. Sure. Because I firmly believe Christopher Nolan, whether you know you think he's overblown or whatever, he makes the movies he wants to make. And I feel like he can make that movie for $200 million and not really have to compromise. And he can do it in, the, in that environment. And I think Denny is another one of those. I feel like they're kind of cut from the same cloth. I think... Denny is just a, he's a much better Christopher Nolan. I think I like his yeah. films better and I think he kind of does it in a much better way um, with that kind of art house flair. But I think he, for whatever reason, has figured out the key to success to operating in the studio system, but still being able to make the movie that he wants to make and not really having to concede as much as maybe some of these other directors who might not either operate the same way or have the confidence or the ability for whatever reason to, you know, not have to make all those concessions and then ultimately make, you know, I don't know, pick, pick, pick one of the movies that we've been talking about, you know? Um, but yeah, I firmly believe it, And there's a few, um, I'm trying to think there's at least one other one right now that I can't think of, but Nolan, Denny, there's at least one other who's kind of like in that same bracket. I would say it'll probably come to me when we're done recording, but I, I don't know. What do you guys think of that? No, I mean, probably. I I think you're right. I think there's there's a special class of people that uh, – special class of filmmakers that know how to kind of get their way despite, you know, studios wanting to involve. I think also they kind of know their role. I think, like, I don't think um, – I don't think Denis Villeneuve is ever going to seek out a superhero movie, you know. I don't think Denis Villeneuve is ever going to seek out something that he doesn't fully and wholeheartedly believe in. And most importantly, I think he's a kind of the kind of filmmaker at this point who's willing to tell studios no. I don't think Josh Trank is in, was in a position back when he was offered Fantastic Four to say no to it. You know, you, you, you when you're in a when you're a first time you've made one feature film, one big budget feature film. And then big budget, it was a low budget feature film. You uh and then a studio comes to you and says, Hi, please make Fantastic Four. And you, you and then word gets around that you're the guy who told 20th Century Fox no. Well, that goes either really well, where people admire the guts you have, or it goes horribly and you'll never get another job again because you're the idiot that turned down 20th Century Fox. So I think it's just kind of a, a monkey's paw situation, you know. You'll you'll get your big budget studio film, but there's really, you know, you're going to be backed into a corner no matter what. Yeah, it's a pretty rough world out there for these uh, big budget Hollywood directors. I don't mean that sarcastically. Like, <laughs> no, I would just give it like, yeah, drive around there with Lamborghinis and damned if you do, damned, damned if you Lamborghinis don't. Lamborghinis with yeah. bathtubs um, in the back. And you know what? If like these directors are worth a damn at the end of the day, like yeah, you like joke about like yeah, oh my god, they have all this money, oh my god. But like if these directors are worth a damn at the end of the day, and they're being pushed around by the studio system, like yeah, they have all this money, but they're not doing what they wanted to do. They're not making the kind of films they wanted to make. They're making oh, something. What's that the? Uh, they, they, it's the whole money doesn't buy happiness thing. Uh, who? What's the uh, actor or director? I'm sorry that did. Uh... Ah, uh, fuck, what is it? Birdman. Uh, Alejandro Giannarito. That is another director that he can look back and say, I did it my way. Yeah, because I, I, I doubt that any fucking producer walked, waltzed in there and told him what to do. And Iñárritu's gone. Yeah. He, after The Revenant, he went back, uh, he did a documentary, and uh, 
since then, he's just kind of done a couple of Spanish shorts. He but did a Nike honestly, commercial. Either he's just laying low, or that's probably why he's not doing big budget films anymore. Is because he, he probably did not play. Yeah, he didn't play the yes man to a producer or a production company. That's, so, do you yeah. think? Uh, do you think Nicholas Winding Refn is like that? I don't know who that is. He directed he did Drive. Drive. Um, um, I do. I do think he's like that. Valhalla Rising. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you mean like saying "fuck it"? I'm going to do it my way. Yes, I think he does say that, but he also he's hit or miss on a lot of movies. I agree because Drive, he, I think, is the only movie by him that I like. And also, it's worth uh, yeah. pointing out he never he never goes to big studios for his movies. He yeah, sticks to the smaller. He definitely studios. he's definitely in that um, trying to be trying to be more of that art tour director who is mm-hmm. low yeah. key. Yeah, like at the end of the day, he doesn't. He he, like you said, Miller. His a lot of his stuff is is really like like Neon Demon. I wasn't into, mm-hmm. but uh, he. But at the end of the day, you got to praise him for sticking to his guns and doing yeah. shit. He has a website now where he. Uh, it's a subscription based service where every month he'll curate some content for you, and he'll be like, mm-hmm, "This is what I like." Enjoy it with some or tea, Earl Grey, uh, and you can watch this movie, this movie, this movie, and like he puts it up on the site. Like it's not like you just subscribe for a dude's opinions. And like, there's enough, everything. there's enough suede shoes, skinny jean wearing people that are oh, going yeah. to say, "This guy gets it." Eh, it's yeah. enough to pay for his penthouse, so he's good with it. Fair enough. All right, yeah. All right, um, all right. So, boys, I have to uh, preface this next question with a statement. Oh, those are the best questions. Is this good sci-fi? Is this good sci-fi or bad sci-fi? But I want you to keep in mind, and this is basically just me answering the question right now, that up until now we have not done a superhero movie. And while this is has this a, a superhero movie, well, hang on, Ben, let me fucking finish, man. Sorry. Shut up. Sorry, sorry. Jeez, while this sorry. does have a very strong science fiction uh, undertone to it. Like, it is worthy of calling it a science fiction movie. At the end of the day, I do consider this, first and foremost, a superhero movie. It's found footage. But I think this, is, this, could, this could have been treated as an origin story for a superhero film. Or superhero series. Is this good sci-fi or bad sci-fi? I'm going to say this was okay at best. In terms of sci-fi, it was entertaining. It was a good movie, but I it was yeah it was just okay to eh, sci-fi. That's what I have to say. Jason, what do you think? Um, so much like a lot of kind of what we've covered lately, the sci-fi here is just kind of the the central conceit. You know, it's the the, the domino that gets flicked that starts the story in motion, but they really don't revisit it. I mean, it's more about the effects and then it becomes more about kind of the human story. Um, So in that regard, I mean, they're not really asking any of kind of like the sci-fi questions, but they are asking the questions, you know, if you had this power, what would you do with it? So, I mean, as a sci-fi film, you know, I I can definitely see the sci-fi elements there. Um, I I would probably say it, you know, it's it's middling sci-fi because it's not about that. Um, I would say it's a solid movie. It was much better than I thought it was going to be, um, as I think I said earlier. So I, that kind of surprised me. Um, I kind of thought I was going to hate it, and I ended up not hating it. And, you know, granted, I just watched it, so that could change tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say kind of middling sci-fi, but uh, a better movie than it is a sci-fi movie, if that makes any sense. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Ben Young. I've got it at like an okay plus to good minus sci-fi movie, but to say that it's more superhero movie than sci-fi movie is just blatantly wrong. Uh, there's at no point um, any evidence of like it, the only root it has in being a superhero movie is that there are you have the preconceived notion of what a superhero is, but it's you have kids they find a scientific device artifact whatever it is which gives them abilities not powers not superpowers and you're only labeling it that because that's the media has labeled it in the past and 
because you don't want to call it sci-fi. I think it is sci-fi. I think it's way more sci-fi than superhero. I only put it at okay plus to like good minus because like it doesn't say like like we talked about earlier. It's a bit sloppy in its form, and I think it could it could, it could do with a good cleaning up, especially now eight years later. I'm sure I'm sure Josh Trank uh, is 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 a little older and a little wiser. I didn't get a chance to watch the director's cut unfortunately because I had to pay fifteen bucks for it in order to do so. So uh, I guess we'll just have to stick with the theatrical cut that we got. Thank you, Ben. Going on to Andrew. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this is going to get another uh, middling sci-fi um, review uh, from me um, in terms of pure science fiction quality. Uh, it-, it was an okay movie. I, I can't, I just can't get past um, the uh, lack of framing device for how they came across the found footage, um, what any of it, you know, sort of sort of means, you know, for this to be a movie at all. Um, I mean, it was fine. Like, I, I didn't have to pay for it this time, so uh, I got my money's worth. Um, always, always fun to see uh, Dane DeHaan playing a sniveling little simp. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's actually the title of his next movie, Miller. I hope so. I hope so. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not going to be good in that it's either. It's just sort of math. It's just sort of math sci-fi, sort of a math movie to me. All right. Well, folks, there you have it. That is our, uh, our take on the 2012 film Chronicle. Ben Young, I have a quick question for you. Say somebody likes what they hear, but they want to hear more. And more importantly, you know, they want to help support what we're doing here and help us create more content. Where, well, if where that's can they go the case, to do that? If that's the case, and you really, 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 really should, because it's only $5 a month, you could go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sci-fi cross-sections. Seriously, we put out this incredible content for you, and I'm serious, it's incredible. I'm not even trying to toot my own horn. Every week for free, and we would love, love, love your support if you could just go to patreon.com slash sci-fi cross-sections. If you pay $5 a month, you get access to all sorts of bonus content that uh, we do at least three episodes a month uh this month we will mark and i will be talking about house of x powers of x which is a superhero property unlike chronicle uh we will also be talking about uh we have a fan request at the 20 dollar tier and they've requested galaxy quest for this month so we'll be talking about that on patreon and we're looking forward to that oh yeah and uh what was the there's a third thing oh jason and i are going to be talking about the last of us part two with a very special guest it's no one famous <laughs> but she's a very special guest um so also uh, uh, those are the three that we're going to talk about this that's week. this month this not month. to mention bill also has a fantastic uh, reoccurring segment he's doing on futurism yes and if you haven't already subscribed i recommend you do so because you will get the backlog of all his episodes that he's done for that fantastic absolutely very fantastic um and and the backlog of all the episodes that have been up there in the past it's patreon.com slash sci-fi cross sections sorry i made this long-winded but we really need your support so please 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 thank you ben uh andrew are we streaming this week we uh we're gonna do some streaming i'm trying to um I uh, I kind of surprise streamed a little bit of Satisfactory um, the other day, uh, but I was dropping a lot of frames, so um, trying to trying to figure out um, how to make that not happen. Uh, but you can find my streaming channel at Twitch.tv/insert_game_here. Um, I don't just play sci-fi games. Um, I try to play whatever tickles my fancy at the time. Fair enough. That's that's at the end of the day, that's all we can ask for is something to tickle our fancy. Uh, Jason, is there anything on the horizon the next coming weeks? Uh, lots of music in the works. Nothing probably that will be out in the next week, but uh, certainly working on it. No shortage of material. Just got to finish it. Oh yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, 
we all have uh, day jobs and stuff to go through. So, but it'll happen when it happens for sure. Next week, we are covering Children of Men. I count that as probably one of the better sci-fi movies to come out in the last 15 years or so. I've never seen it. Me neither. I think oh, you'll enjoy it. You guys are you're in for a treat. Yeah. I'm excited. I'll I've always wanted to. And, and when we talk about the people responsible for making it, it's it's good. So uh, that's it. That's all we have for you. So until next time.